So I'm going to start just one minute uh, reminder on what we talked about two weeks ago. So we were talking about this choice that we have, right? We have a choice to bless. We have a choice to curse. We looked at James 3, 9 to 10. Uh, I just want to read that again. So with it, it's talking. he's talking about our tongue here. So this is our words and the impact in our tongue. So with it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so we, we talked about and we looked at what it means to bless and how we do that. But this idea of cursing, right, it's not, it, you know, it's not swearing. Sometimes it's withholding a blessing. And sometimes, you know, it's the, it's the words that we say, the actions we do towards others. And, and, and it's really ways that we, we participate in that. So it could be gossip. It could be saying something bad about another person. Some, you know, and, and that could be in this body. That could be another believer in the community and another church, you know, or in our country or, or sometimes, you know, somebody we don't know, but we're kind of feeding on, you know, the tearing down of somebody we don't know. So that's kind of the idea of cursing in here. And this is an area God's been working on me. Right. So I, I mentioned for a number of years now, he's been working on me to call me to repentance, to change my mind in how I use my words. And specifically over the last year, um, he's really been working on me in the context of the church and the church. I think we would all agree the church is very divided. Right. I don't think we any of us has felt a time where the church has felt more torn apart than it is today. And, you know, churches are dividing over all kinds of things. And they have for many years. We know churches that have divided over a choice on carpet or styles of music and and certainly over uh, doctrinal issues. And so there's been division in the church for many, many years. And in this past year, it's grown even, even more so. So, so that's what we're going to look at this morning is just Jesus's vision for what this is supposed to look like and then how we, how we do that. So our, our key passage this morning is John. Uh, we're we're going to look at John 17, but the context of John 17 is really John 13 through 17. So I would encourage you this week, spend some time in these chapters. They are they are amazing. So it's Jesus with his disciples, uh, the, the Lord's Supper, and then from there, you know, Judas goes out, and then he begins this teaching, and it's it's his final teaching to his disciples, his final commandments to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's really, he gives them this commandment of loving one another and the promise of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the core of it. He's kind of teaching them what that's going to look like. And then it builds to chapter 17. And in chapter 17, he's, he's done giving them his final instructions and he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he begins to pray. And so we're going to look at Jesus's prayer here, kind of his final prayer with the whole disciples together before he's going to go out and get uh, crucified. So turn with me, if you will, John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 20 to 23. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. 
How crazy is that prayer? I mean, is that not the biggest, boldest prayer you've ever heard in your life? You know, this idea that I'm in you, Father, and you're in me, and they're going to be in us, and I'm going to be in them, and they're going to be one the way that we're one. That is such a big idea. And, and to get your head around it, I want to spend some time, we're going to talk about the Trinity, because we have to get our head around this idea, this oneness of God, so we can understand what, it, what his vision is of us participating in that. And so when we talk about the Trinity, we're, we're going to look at that. This is a word that's not in the Bible, right? It's a concept taught in the Bible, right? And so, um, so Trinity, on, on slides here, so the, the word Trinity actually means tri-unity, right? So three in unity, or, or three in oneness. So the words unity and oneness, they're really the same idea, right? So they convey the same meaning interchangeable, but that is the word, what the word Trinity means. And so when we think about the Trinity, there's, there's three core doctrinal teachings that we need to understand that defines what the Trinity is. And so the first one is this idea that, that God is three persons. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. And they are, they, they are distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, right? They are, they are distinct persons. That is the teaching of the Trinity, number one. But the second is that each of these persons is fully God. So any attribute you would ascribe to God, whether it's his holiness, his righteousness, his, his love, his all power, all knowing, every attribute of God is fully true for every person of the Trinity. They each are fully God. So that, that is the teaching there. But, but they're also, um, distinct in role. And, and I'll talk about that in a bit. But then finally, there's one God, right? There is one God. God is one. And the Bible is very clear on that point. And so when you look at this and I look at this, we'll say, well, that doesn't make sense, right? That feels a little contradictory, but, but it's not. This is the nature of God. There is mystery in it. And so our nature, we have finite minds and we, we work in comparison. To us, the answer to every question is found in an or. Is it this or that? This or that? We compare everything in life. We make every decision off of an or. God, by nature, does everything in an ant. <laughs> I am three. We're all God, and I'm one. This is God. And you'll see this play out again and again in the Bible. That is his nature. So don't try to simplify it. Don't try to take the mystery out of it. Embrace that that is the nature of God, and there's beauty in it. So so as they are different, so we have these three distinct persons in the Trinity. They're all equal. They're all God. They have all of his attributes, but they are subordinate in role. They're subordinate in relationship. And so it's the way that they relate to each other in relationship. So the, the son submits to the father, right? And the spirit submits. The, the son, the father sends the spirit. And think about it in creation. In creation, God's, the father spoke Jesus, the son actually did the act of creating and the spirit was hovering over the water in the act of redemption. God sent his son. Jesus came. He was obedient, right? He, he suffered and he died. And then he went back and he sent the spirit. So they have different roles, right? But there's this intimacy inside them. Like Jesus had to go out and spend time in fellowship with the father. He was so dependent on them. So there's this intimacy, this oneness in this relationship that you see playing out in the Trinity. And, and just because 
the son is subordinate to the father, it doesn't make him less than the father, right? It's just there, there's a difference in their functions. And the closest we can get our heads around this is marriage. So Solve and I, for 29 years, right, the, the word says, right, that the, the two will leave their father and mother and they'll become one, right? So Solve and I are, are one in a very unique way that God has created. Uh, but yet we have different roles, right? The Bible says that the, just as Christ is the head of, of man, the head is the, is the, the husband is the head of the wife, right? So, so the wife submits to the husband. The husband is to honor and, and love his wife. So our roles are different. It doesn't make one of us greater than the other, but yet we are one. And so that is the picture that, that God's giving us. And we have to get our heads around the way that, that God relates to himself. That's the context. So now when we go look at this passage in John, he's saying, this is Jesus. He's saying, it, just as you are in me, just as, as the father is in Jesus and he is, and I am in you as Jesus is in the father, that they may be in us, right? These believers are going to be in us. And then I in them and you in me. <laughs> and so then I'm going to be in them and you're going to be in me. Um, so somehow we are included in the Trinity, right? In the, it doesn't mean we become God, right? But in this, this oneness, this intimacy that God has with each other, that's the picture he's saying. He's saying in the same way, they're going to be in us and I'm going to be in them, right? And this happens, um, obviously because of Christ's work and what he's, what he's about to do. And if you think about this, the disciples needed it, right? He's praying this over his disciples and think about who his disciples were. Who did Jesus call, right? He called a bunch of fishermen, right? Andrew, Peter, James, John, but he also called Matthew. And what do we know of Matthew? Matthew is a tax collector, and at the time, the, Rome was ruling over the Jews, and the Jews hated it. They did not like the Romans, and they extracted, um, you know, f- uh, money from them. And, and that was the role of the tax collectors. So, uh, so Matthew, as a Jew, he's a tax collector. He's betraying his people, if you will. He's he's taking money from them to give to Rome and keeping some for himself. So he's taking more than he needs. And so the Jews hated tax collectors. Matthew was hated. You know, the Bible talks about him as uh, tax collectors and sinners. They're in the same camp. These are unclean. These are not loved people. So that's so Jesus calls Matthew. And then Jesus also calls Simon. The Bible says is a zealot. The zealots hated Rome more than anybody. And they wanted, they weren't patient. They wanted to overthrow it. They wanted resurrection or revolution. I mean, they wanted anarchy. They wanted war. So imagine Simon and Matthew. I'm sure these guys got along great. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, think about it. Like, it's today. If Jesus came here, right, and, and he came today, he would call maybe some farmers and some business people and maybe a member of Antifa or a Proud Boys member or maybe a Russian spy or a Chinese spy living in our country. Right? Imagine this is the mix of people that he calls together. And so he's praying this prayer, right, that you're going to be one. And, and, and while he's with them, you know, they're getting along, but what's interesting is if you go up a few verses in James, um, he's actually in his prayer says that, um, that I'm coming to you. Uh, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. 
I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. So Jesus kept these people who would have been in their flesh, extremely divided. He kept them in his name, but he was praying. He said, father, make them one, keep them together as I have, because he knew without the working of Christ in their life, these guys were going to rip each other apart. And so that's, that's this prayer. He's saying, I'm going to make them one, but that act can only come through us being in them. And so that's where we look in, in John 17, where he's saying, <clears throat> you know, he says that they may all be one. They may be one, even as we are one. They may become perfectly one. Right? So this could only happen because of what Jesus was going to accomplish in, in giving us his spirit. Because if you look at this oneness, right, and what, what Jesus was about to accomplish, he was going to go to the cross. He was going to, we, we, we could not have been one with the Father. Our sin was a barrier that could not be overcome to fellowship with the Father, right? So, so for him to say this prayer, he knew because he was going to pay for that sin. By his death, we now could be one with the Father, we could be in them, but, but him being us is because he was going to send the spirit. So the work that he was going to do is the picture of the gospel of what he was going to accomplish. And this was his, if his most important request, I'm, I'm about to go through this. I'm about to go to the father. The prayer that I have, the thing my disciples need most is this father, please do this. This is what needs to happen for the church. And his prayer was not just for the disciples, right? It was also for us. In verse 20, he said, I do not ask only for these who wasn't thinking just about the 11 that were there, but also those who would believe in me through their word. That's us. This is the prayer for us. So that this truth isn't just, oh, that was relevant then, not today. This is for us. He was praying this for those who would come later for us. Um, so that we would have a oneness. We would have a unity with each other. We would be united with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and like I said, this was the point of the cross. So as you think about this, this idea of unity, I mean, it seems like such a crazy prayer. It seems like, it seems like an impossible idea. As, as the team was singing this morning, you know, I only see the battle. I only see the mountain. If you think about his prayer and what the church looks like, think about the division we see in the church. Think about, contrast that to Jesus's prayer. Doesn't that feel like a mountain? I mean, how in the world can that be? I, I can only see the mountain, God. I can only see the battle. But not Jesus, right? He, he didn't pray this prayer thinking it wasn't possible. He prayed this prayer with an expectation that this is what was going to happen. And so I would tell you in my life, I've never heard a sermon on the topic of unity. I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. And, you know, I don't know that I would have wanted to. (laughs) If you'd asked me a few years ago, I'd have been like, aren't there more important things that we should be like focused on and looking at? And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, growing up, um, I thought we had it all right. Right. I mean, I, I, I didn't have this vision. I've never had this vision for unity in the church. I mean, I, our church had it right. We, we drove 20 miles to go to a church that preached the gospel. Right. And I, I just, I, you know, I believed the other churches all had something wrong. Right. They just didn't understand many things, or I thought many of them probably weren't even believers. Um, but this has never been a topic on my heart. Um, 
But God's changed my mind on this. He's, he's been calling me to change my mind. He's been calling me to repentance, um, especially this past year. And, um, you know, I've just seen so many things this past year in lives of friends of mine. And um, <clears throat> it, it, it's just broken my heart. And I've just, I've struggled. I've talked a lot with Solvay just of what do we do about this, right? How do we, how do we respond inside of this? And, and so I've been studying it. I've been, I've been very, it has been probably the most consuming thing in my life the past year. Um, and my family hears it more than anybody. <laughs> um, and so it's an area I've really been working on and reading and studying about. And, and then this spring, Francis Chan came out with his book and I, I consumed it in two days. I just loved it. It was called Until Unity. And it was just, his heart is where my heart was, right? And he was teach, he teaches just so great in this book. And, and I, I was going to lead a study on it this summer, but with all the health things that happened with me, that just didn't end up happening. So you're getting a taste of it today. But, um, but the thing you got to know is we talk about unity. Unity does not set aside sin, it does not set aside truth. It does not set aside righteousness um, because God hates sins. He, he hates sin. Um, God is truth. He's not going to set aside truth and God is righteous and he calls us to righteousness. So that you got to start with that point. That's not what he's calling us to do. But what I want to do, and I'm going to share just a little bit. So I, I've studied what does the Bible say about unity? So as we look at this picture of Jesus's prayer, what's the teaching around unity? And we don't have enough time to look at that. You want to learn more, go buy the book or, you know, maybe we'll study it again sometime. But, um, but I'm going to look at just a couple of things. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4 briefly. And the context of this, I, I'm just trying to be brief here, but He's talking, this is Paul talking to the, uh, to the church in Ephesians about walking in a manner worthy of your calling. So he's talking to believers and he says to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the purpose here is for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith so that it builds itself up in love. So you just kind of see a picture here, right, of what this is supposed to look like in our lives, of uh, just this this unity in the spirit. And then he continues a few verses later in, in verse 29 to 32. Um, and this is a little challenging. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So this idea of corrupting talk, right? That That's like this cursing we talked about. It's, you know, and it, the contrast to here is anything that's not building up, right? Is kind of what falls in this camp. So our talk if our talk is not building up, it's corrupting inside of the church. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So remember in James how he talked about that this is a person created. Like there, you can't be doing both blessing and cursing because this person is created in the image of God. And this is very similar. So not only are they created in the image of God, but they got the Holy Spirit living in them, 
right? So I, I'm in you and you're in me. The spirit is in them. So when you talk corrupting talk to this child of God, you're attacking God himself, right? So that is what the context here, when you're grieving the Holy Spirit, it's because you are not just attacking this person, it's the spirit of God living in them. That is the unity he has in mind. So let, let's look next. So I want to, again, just the second area I'm going to look briefly is 1 Corinthians. So the Corinthian church was a church that was on fire for God. They, these guys were excited, right? And, you know, they, they believed in the, and they were using the, the gifts of the spirit and they were using them to excess. And so these guys in their exuberance for the Lord, they were sinning in a lot of ways and they were causing division in a lot of ways. And so the book of 1 Corinthians is pretty much all a book of correcting them from their various sorts of divisions. Um, so it's, it was still the church, right? But they were causing damage and, and harm as they were doing it. And, you know, this is the book where we get, you know, the, the love chapter, right? Love is patient, kind, and all that great stuff that we like to use at weddings. And, and that's in the middle of some correction on use of spiritual gifts. You know, you guys are doing great, but when you do this, you're causing harm. And so this idea of love of, of each other in, in the word is, is as we're working as, at the church, everything should be done in love. So you, you see this, 1 Corinthians 10, um, you know, he makes an appeal to them right in the beginning of the book. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And then the second passage, Francis Chan talks about this one. And to him, he says, there's nothing more terrifying to me than this passage. This is the most terrifying warning in the Bible. And he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You know, sometimes we, we talk about, you know, us being God's temple, and we put that in context of exercise or eating right, right? And that's not bad, but it's God, right? It's the Holy Spirit living on us. So if we are destroying the temple of God, if we are cutting down each other, that's what we're doing, cutting down God. And, and, and he's saying there's a terrifying warning in here because you do not want to be tearing down God. So if you look at, and again, so these are two short passages of many, but if you if you pull out of them and say, Okay, when we look at these passages that talk about unity in the church and what it's supposed to look like, here's the picture it creates. Um, what is it supposed to look like? It, uh, it bears with one another. Uh, humility, gentleness, patience. There's a bond of peace. It builds up in love. It creates maturity. It speaks truth in love. It's kind to everyone. It patiently endures evil. Corrects with gentleness. It speaks only what builds up. It's tender-hearted. It forgives one another, and there's no divisions. This is what our lives are to look like in the context of each other in, in the body of Christ. And it reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the, the, the picture, and, it, and it's all grounded in love. And so, you know, I mentioned these, these passages in John. They start with Jesus the very first thing, right after Judas goes out, the, the thing that Jesus says to them is, hey, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by all this, or by this, by, sorry, 
By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is that commandment, right? This is the our posture towards each other in, in the church. It's it's the new commandment in his prayer really builds on. And, on, and honestly, the those passages, they're pretty much filled with just, I get a new commandment. You love one another as I loved you. This is how the world's going to know you're my disciple. And I'm going to give you the spirit to do it. There you go. That's John 13 to 16 in a nutshell. <laughs> So that's the idea. But this isn't what it looks like. This is not what the church looks like in many ways. And, and I want to, so I want to share with you just some of my struggle in this, just kind of some of the friends in my life, what, what I'm trying to, to wrestle through and, and help through. So I have a friend who believes that you can't call yourself a Christian if you voted for Biden. I mean, honestly, just believes that with all his heart. I have another that says, you know, that believes, you know, that liberal churches are godless and have abandoned the gospel. And, and if you're in one, you just can't be a Christian. You, you can't be a Christian in that environment. I have another friend who can't comprehend how you could be a call. You could call yourself a Christian and, and have voted for Trump. I have another friend who feels that it is his prophetic duty that God has called him prophetically to call the evangelical church to repentance that they have lost their way and are, are following power. So the thing is, all four of these friends are believers. They are Christians. I know them. <laughs> they have deeply held, held convictions and they're passionate about their relationship with Jesus. But yet, this isn't the picture of what we see. And, you know, each of them sees sin in others and they want to address it, right? And Jesus hates sin, but this isn't the oneness that God had in mind. This is really kind of where my heart and struggle has been, right? Of just, we, we all see this, right? I'm sure all of you can relate to people in your life that, uh, that are like this. So was Jesus wrong right, in his prayer? You know, he was like, well, yeah, but you didn't know where we were going to be in 2020. You didn't know about COVID and the stuff that was going to follow, right? Jesus knew, he, right? He, he knew where we were going to be. So here's what I would propose to you. I would propose it's possible that maybe our response is wrong. Maybe the way we're engaging things isn't the way that God had in mind. Maybe we're not actually looking to the Bible for our direction. I, I would propose that the, the thing we're doing most is we're looking to what others are doing. How do I respond to what's going on? Well, I'm going to look at how the other people are responding and I'm going to do that. Or... Maybe there's certain Christian leaders you look to, certain pastors or, you know, leaders in the country or world, and you're like, well, I'm going to model what I see them doing. Or, or maybe it's historic Christian leaders. I'm going to look at the life of John Calvin or Charles Spurgeon or Diedrich Bonhoeffer or some, you know what I mean? The way that they engaged in their day, that's the way I need to do it. And none of these are bad, but everyone is unbelievably insufficient compared to Scripture. Because every one of us has sin in our life, right? And if you model your life after me, you're going to be disappointed, right? Because I, I am a sinful person just like you, right? And I'm working on it. God's working on me. But the Bible has to be our spot where we start. So, so my prayer has been, God, what do you want me to do? I've wrestled with this, right? God, show me what you want me to do. And, and, and his word to me has been, stay involved. Stay close to these people, Close your mouth sometimes and listen. 
Um, and so that's what I've tried to do. So I've, I've, honestly, I'm trying to get connected to more people that I don't agree with, that see the world so differently than me. Because honestly, I don't, I don't, in, in my conversation is like, help me see what you're seeing because I don't get it. I don't see how you can look at this topic in this way because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so that's kind of what, what God's been working on me to do. And, and, and it comes from, the fact that for us to be one, this intimacy that God has, there's a relationship in there. I can't be one with somebody that I don't have a relationship with. And so it really starts with we need to kind of pull closer together as, as a beginning point. Um, so one of, the, one of the things for me is had a chance to go to a, a liberal church this spring with a friend. Right. And, and uh, I guarantee you there's going to be some doctrinal issues I'm going to have here. Um, and it was right after Easter. And there was differences. I mean, um, worship was good. There was definitely a greater emphasis on on love and unity and giving of money to be held to give to others. It was an interesting interpretation of that verse. Um, but the, the, the message was was sound this message of jesus and what he did on the cross for us and the redemption of sins and his death and resurrection and newness in him and belief in him it was it was sound and and i saw there people who loved the lord my friend who loves the lord i you know so it's challenging right here here's a church that it'd be easy to convict for the, the sin they're allowing or even supporting but yet there are people there that are are genuinely have a relationship with christ so what do you do with that? Well, let's talk about sin, right? Because this is kind of where it struggles. Like, how do I deal with sin in the midst of this? Well, don't we need to kind of stand and rebuke it, right? And I want to talk about what does that look like biblically? We're, we're going to get to sin. We're going to talk about how do we address it. But let's talk about sin. If we're going to talk about sin, we have to first look at ourselves and say, okay, is there sin in my life? Is there sin in this church? Um, because we all have sin. First John one or not? First John. I don't remember which one it is. Uh, in First John, it's very clear. If you claim you have no sin, right, you're a liar, and the truth's not in you. You have sin. Um, and so the the you know when we think of sin, you know it's really the opposite of the fruit of the spirit, right? In Galatians five, the the there's the fruit of the spirit, and then there's the works of the flesh. And so if you look at this list of the works of the flesh, um, there you go. So. You know, we got sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Yep, we got no issue there. Idolatry, sorcery. Look at this list in the middle. Enmity, strife, which is conflict or arguing. Jealousy, fits of anger, right? Not not fits of angels. Fits of anger, sorry. Uh, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's a huge list on this area of of unity and how we get along. Uh, Drunkenness and orgies. And... The interesting thing, and, and where, where I have to start and where you have to start is say, where am I? I mean, what, what, what am I struggling with? What are we, and I, as an elder, what are we as a church struggling with? What, what, church, what sin are we allowing in here, you know, or supporting in here, you know, ourselves? And, you know, even in the area of like sexual stuff, well, it's easy to say, well, we don't do that. I'm not having an affair. I'm not, you know, homosexual lifestyle. You know, I'm not doing that. But yet... How, are there people in this in this room that are 
having sex outside of marriage, you know, that are sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend? Are there people in this church who are struggling with pornography? And if you believe the stats, it would say more than half of the men in this church are. I mean, it's very possible today. It's likely, very likely there are people that are here today with an addiction problem in the area of pornography. Are we allowing that in our church? Are we helping you with that sin? You know, one of the things Francis Chan, I heard him on a, he says this in his book. He actually said, you know, if I go out and I preach a sermon on these first three points, he goes, I am heralded as a conservative, as a strong biblical teacher grounded in the word. As soon as I start talking about that third list, enmity, strife, and division, he goes, I'm called woke. I'm called that I'm a liberal. I've lost my way and I've no longer hold on to the truth of the word. This is all sin, guys. To every, these are the sins that keep us. If we're not a believer, it keeps us from fellowship with God. If we are a believer, these are the sins, right, that keep us from the intimacy and the oneness that he wants with us. And so certainly there's a role of addressing sin, but it also starts with, you know, what is the sin in our life we need to deal with? So how do we deal with this in the church? So it, it is, sin is a big deal. We can't ignore sin. We can't not engage sin. We can't not address sin in the church because, uh, you know, the Bible tells us like a little leaven, right? Leaven's the whole thing. So a little sin not dealt with starts having bigger impacts. And, And I think for part of us in our culture, because we haven't dealt with sin in the right way or at all, right? It's having bigger implications than, than it should. But I would suggest the way we deal with this is not what you're thinking. And it's, it's not what's in my flesh, so here's the big idea I want you to get today. And this is from, from the teaching in John 17. So it's a grounding, right? How are you? And, and, and I, here's what I would equate it to. <clears throat> like, how do you deal with the enemy when he comes after you, right? Well, you get grounded in truth, right? There's a grounding, right? That you are a child of God, that, that you were loved and saved and you're pure and, and, and perfect in his sight, right? That grounding helps you fight lies in the enemy. Here's a grounding that helps you deal with, with, how to love your brother and deal with sin. So it starts with this idea that we are in them, right? We're in him. We're in Christ. So this is the first grounding truth. I am alive. I am him because that is what he says. But then secondly, he is in me, right? His spirit lives in me. So this is the beginning point. And, and as a result, there's oneness. So I am, I am one. So this, this Christian that has got sin that's driving me nuts, right? I can't believe you would do that. This is the beginning. Christ's in me. I'm in Christ. This, this believer, right? He is also in Christ and Christ is in him. And God is calling us to a oneness to him and a oneness with each other. So that's the grounding. That's the posture. We have to start the conversation in our head. <clears throat> and then here's the second part. So in John 16, right before this prayer, verse 8, <clears throat> excuse me, as Jesus is promising and talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he says this, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. God sent his spirit to convict the world of sin. He didn't send you to convict the world of sin. He didn't send me to convict the world of sin. He called me to love. His commandment to me was love one another as I loved you. And I'm putting my spirit in you, right? And the spirit is going to convict the world of sin. So this is the grounding. 
that we have to get ourselves into. And, and we have to learn to hear the voice of the spirit and we have to act on it. So God's going to use you. God's going to use you in relationship to address sin. Right? God's not going to use you in the absence of love. He's not going to use you in the absence of relationship. He's going to use you in a oneness through his spirit, through the spirit's convicting to address sin and create unity in the church. And one of the things I heard in an interview that I've been a little consumed with Francis Chan lately. Uh, I just love where his head is on this. Um, and, you know, he was talking about just his own conviction. He goes, there's times where I have not spoken, where the spirit is prompted. And I've been afraid. I've been afraid of just how I'd be received and that it'd be negative And, you know, just, just because I'm speaking to sin. Because there's other times where I've spoken and I shouldn't have because it was not the spirit leading and prompting. So this is the grounding we have to get ourselves in because we, because it is about how we love. So, so we, we address sin by starting here and it's followed by a heart check. Now there is a place for correction. There's a place for rebuking sin as well. Matthew would tell us the model. Your brother sins against you. You go to him. You talk to him. If he doesn't listen, Take one or two other believers with you, right? And if, if still not listening, you know, go to the church, right? So there's a model here for us to do this. Um, and there's also numerous passages of how you do correct. Most of them are geared towards elders, right? Of, you know, there's a command in here of correcting, rebuking, defending the flock, correcting false doctrine, you know, even disassociating in the cases of continued sin. So there's there's a model in here how to do it. But there's also warning, right? Because be careful where your heart is as you do this because you're going to be judged in the way that you judge. So it's um, that approach to correction is why it starts with this grounding and this heart check. And it's all done in the context of a local church. All of these passages in correcting are done in the context of a local church. So why does this matter? Why is this so important? Well, this is where we have to go back to John 17, verse 23. It's so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I had to read that again. It's so that the world, our, our oneness, us in him, him and us, us one, perfectly one, the whole point of all of that is so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So our oneness is going to bring people to Christ. It's they're going to know that Jesus is the son of God. And, and that is the gospel, right? The gospel that Jesus is the son of God. He died. He rose again, right? And there's new life through him. And they're going to know that he loves them. He's going to, they, our, our, our oneness is going to be a testimony to this. So our posture to non-believers, right? So we just talked about how do we treat one another? What's our posture to non-believers? Well, 1 Corinthians 5 is, you know, pretty clear in this. Like, you're not to judge those outside the church. That's God's job, right? You're to go out and preach the gospel. So go preach the gospel and then love your brothers because your love for one another in the church is going to testify that the gospel is true. It's going to testify that God actually, you you tell people God loves them, they're going to know it's true because they see your love for one another. That is the approach. And that seems crazy to me. Okay. Like seriously, the John 17 seems crazy. Cause all I can see is the mountain. 
right? But I can tell you what we're doing isn't working. But this is what he's telling us to do. So I have to believe that this model, that what Jesus said is true, that if we approach each other and we approach the word in this way, that it's going to work. And so it starts with me. It starts with you. If the worship team would come forward, we're going to we're spend a little time praying here. Um, so this isn't the sermon to run out and tell somebody, here's, I, I found this thing for you to fix you. <laughs> um, this is about me. It's, it's about you. And the only way that John 17 happens, right, is when you start doing this, when I start doing this. And I have been wrong of this, right? There have been spots where, you know, I have failed to love in this way. And, 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 and I guess what I want to kind of, what I want you to kind of pray with me and just kind of think through this is, you know, um, you know, if there have been times where I have done this, where I have torn down a member of Christ that has the spirit living inside of them. If, and if you have, I mean, if you can even just picture that person, maybe it's a person, maybe it's, it's people like, who is that person? Like, God, what, why am I so bothered by this person and, and what's happened there? And, and the, the prayer in here is just, God, show me, help me to see this person. Help me to, Love them the way that you have loved them. Forgive me, Father, where I have, I have torn them down. I have spoken about another believer, even a believer I don't know. Father, forgive me. Uh, that's not what I want to be. That's not the picture of your church. That is not the, the body the way that you want it. And so just this morning, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, just we ask for forgiveness. We just thank you, Lord, for, for your belief, your, your, your truth. We thank you, thank you for sending your spirit, Lord, so that we can know how to love as, as you have loved. And, and Lord, I just ask that you would um, show us where we have closed doors, maybe where we have um, broken fellowship. We have unfriended people just because they talk different than us, Lord. Show us how to reopen communication, how to reopen relationship in lives where we have silenced it. Lord, we want to be this church. We want victory to be a church that looks like this, Lord. Help help victory to be a church that looks like John 17, that, that we would be known in the community, that we'd be known in Ballotin and, and the cities around, Lord, for our love for one another, for our love for the church, for our love for you. We just thank you, Father.